Welcome to Bridging the Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Malak Arif, and today I got a very, very, very special guest. Matter of fact, I got two guests, but today we about to focus in on we about to focus on this legend. I've been I've been a fan of this this brother for 30 years since I was a kid. I remember seeing his vinyls in my aunts and uncles and parents' uh, basement, you know, basements and you know, to hear his music through numerous uh, rap artists throughout the years, man, and just to realize and appreciate all the great music that he has contributed to the culture, man. It is an honor to introduce the one, the only Dexter Wanzell. What's going on, brother? Hey, hey, thanks, Malak, for having me. No Big doubt, man. no doubt. And I also hey, today, man. I got to introduce, I got to introduce the one, the only, the infamous Cam Jones, man. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you for bringing me up, man. It's really nah, no doubt, be, uh, brother. This is gonna on, be on this, this is legendary. Right. We got, yes, we sir. got, uh, you know what they call it, uh, six degrees of separation. Yes, sir. you know, there's a little six degrees of separation going on over here. Absolutely. You know, as if, if folks who may not know, Cam Jones is the son of the legendary lead singer of the Jones Girls, uh, Shirley Jones. So. Uh, Shirley Jones um, also was a label mate of Dexter Wanzell at Philadelphia International. We're going to get into all of that. We're going to get into all of that. So let's go ahead and just get right into it. Mr. Wanzell, you're looking good, brother. How have you been maintaining throughout this whole pandemic? You know, I got to ask a lot of my guests that, man, because it's, it's really crazy, man. So I'm just, you know, I'm just want to uh, see how you've been maintaining, brother. Well, I've been maintaining. Um, it's been pretty rough as far as, you know, performances and getting together with groups and stuff. I was in um, London and Paris that February when it first hit back in 2019. And uh, I mean, 2020. Yeah, 2020. And um, we, we got, when we got home on the 14th of February, uh, that's when things started shutting down, you know, mm. um, and uh, a lot of gigs that I had after that had gotten canceled because of the pandemic, you right. know, um, unfortunately, it really has affected uh, just about all aspects of creative society, grouping together and doing things and having shows and uh, being in the studio and it, it, it's really been tough. No doubt, no doubt, man. Hey, Cam, man, you know, like I said, you, you've been also out here, you know, doing your thing, man. Like, how have you been maintaining, man, especially as, a, as an independent artist, man? Hey, man, uh, to piggyback on Uncle Dex, man, uh, it's, it's been rough, man. You know, I feel like we are just making adjustments. Um, You know, this, this kind of hit us from left field, and I feel like we didn't expect it to last this long. Um, So... I feel like we just all adapting in the new time and you know what's going on with you know COVID and just trying to stay safe as much as possible man but I'm just adapting to more of a virtual world um getting out when I can and, and you know making sure I'm sanitizing and all that good stuff man trying to stay clean no so, doubt no doubt no doubt well look hey Dexter I know we don't have a lot of time man but you know I want to I want to talk a little I, I've done my research uh on you you know throughout the years it's not no last minute thing you know, like I said, I've been I've been studying you for a long time. So I want to talk about, you know, I want to go back, you know, take me back to a young Dexter Wanzell, 12, 13, 14 years old. When did you, you know, 
started to develop this when did you start to realize that you have this this talent for music when did you realize like this is something that i want to take seriously what what age was that i just put out a number i could be wrong but you know can you take me back to that time actually it was um i used to be a little errand boy uh, at the uptown theater in philadelphia and the uh, music director there uh, showed me some chords on the organ and i would you know, after he would get up and walk away, I would, you know, kind of figure out my own stuff, you know. No and I knew then, I was eight, nine years old then, that um, I wanted to pursue um, music. And Doc Bagby was my first uh, mentor back in 58, 59. Okay. So what was the music scene like uh, back in Philadelphia? You know, a lot of us may not remember. Um, I know you had the Cameo Parkway. That was that was pretty big but um what were some of the influences that you had uh growing up well the influences that i really had was like i said my errand boy years at the uptown theater the uptown was a lot like the apollo right in new york or the regal in chicago and you know so on and so forth. like the black chilling uh, fox so in dc you know where black artists could come and not just for two or three days but from anywhere from 10 to 14 days and settle in and do shows every night and you know three shows on a saturday including a midnight show you know okay. that's where i learned you know working with the bands um, i worked the first motortown review i which uh the star of that review was of course james brown and the famous flames you know and they uh, uh i'm sorry uh, not that's the king records tour i'm sorry the king records tour uh the the, the 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 big name was James Brown and the Famous Flames, but for the first Motortown review, they had the original Funk Brothers were the band for that first Motortown review, and the Supremes and Little Stevie Wonder. I would hold his hand uh, back in the wings of, until uh, Shorty Long brought him out, put him behind the drums, you know. And all those experiences uh, through the years there at the Uptown is really what developed me as far as wanting to be a, 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 a musician and finding an instrument, you know, other than organ or keyboards that I really liked and listening to the stories that a lot of the musicians would tell about their journeys, you know, like out of um, out of the South and, and like at that time, uh, Philadelphia was segregated. You know, they couldn't stay in the hotels downtown. So there were like little venues that they would be able to stay at, houses they would be able to stay at near the Uptown. And and they dealt with that. And they used to tell Dizzy Gillespie, always told stories about his experiences, you know, as a jazz cat, you know, coming up through um, the speakeasies and the, um, uh, the clubs and stuff, you know, developing that music, you know. And right. I learned a lot that way you know, uh, being at the Uptown. And I learned a lot from so many different artists there, you know. Uh, Dave Babe Cortez showed me uh, stuff on the organ and along with uh, Doc Bagby. And I, I was able to develop that as the years went by and okay. picked up playing piano. And um, when I got into the army, I used to play uh, at the USO shows wherever I was located, you know. And that's really how it all got started. Okay. Now, what now? What about the the organ, the piano that intrigued you? You know, out of all the different instruments, you know, you could have played drums, you could have played, you know, bass guitar, guitar, horn section. You know, what what was it about? You know, because when we think of Dexter Wanzell, we think of 
keyboards. We think of one of the greatest keyboardists, uh, you know, arrangements, man, in R&B history, you know. Like, I mean, some of your arrangements, some of the, the music that you have put out, man, on those uh, PIR albums, man, it's just phenomenal, man. So talk, talk about that a little bit. Well, really where it started uh, was uh, when I was in um, elementary school and junior high school, I started playing the cello. Okay. And I got really good at playing the cello uh, in the sixth, seventh, eighth grades. And so they sent me to um, the settlement music school where not only did I study the cello, but I studied, they had me studying theory, harmony, and composition. Now, was that, was that in Philadelphia? I had to, I had to learn about all the instrumentation that's how i became an arranger you know, now I now was what now mr wanzel I, I hate to interrupt what was that in philadelphia yeah in philadelphia yeah. okay and i used to take uh, master classes on the cello and then um when i got in junior high school i kind of like was playing the cello and me and my best friend we started our own little band called this uh, uh my um my best friend Stanley Clark, the bass player. We started our own little band. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. time out. You just, you just, you just threw a name. You just threw that name out there, just Legendary like, Stanley, Stanley like, Clark. like. Oh, Stanley. Who don't know <laughs> Stanley Clark. Yes, yeah, arguably good. one of the the greatest Legendary. jazz fusion bassists ever. You know, was a, a founding member of Return of Forever. Great solo career. Um, he didn't did a lot of great soundtracks and scores. So it's, you know, I'm not going to let you just throw Stanley Clark out there. He's done 69 <laughs> films today. Exactly. Man, listen. Films, no doubt. And I, and I forget he's from Philadelphia. I forget that. Yeah, yeah. So we started our own little group called The Speakers, and we would play around town and in high school and after high school. Um, and then I wound up having to go into the service. The day I turned 17, I was on a train to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And that's another story. And now you got, you got, did you get drafted? No, it's a long story. <laughs> but anyway, so. <laughs> so Mr. Wazir, you, 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 you was trying to flee the country, man. <laughs> you, hey, Mr. Wazir, what you I was got, getting involved in, bro? And it was either go to juvie or go into the army. And I chose going into the army. Thanks, I, know I know, I know a couple of brothers that made that had to had to, had to make make that business business hey. decision. Hey. <laughs> I was I I, my, uh, I myself like I, I don't know if I ever shared this with Cam, but I, I served in the military for five years myself. Oh, wonderful! Oh, Which okay. branch? Yeah. What branch? That's what's up, bro. Army. Army. So was I. That's what took me down to Georgia. That's why. That's how I ended up going. My last duty station was at Fort McPherson. Okay. Oh, Which is now uh, Tyler Perry's uh, studio. But enough about me. Enough about me. Finish, uh, Mr. Rosell. <laughs> I'm sorry. So where were we? <laughs> no, we was talking about you know. So you end up going to the military. You end up. You, yeah, you yeah, said you yeah. end up fleeing so the country. In the military, <laughs> uh, I uh, wound up going to uh, being sent to Taiwan because at, at first they were going to send me to um, over to uh, Vietnam, Ooh. but I was still 17. Okay. And you know, and what's funny is I met a lot of guys who really um, that, that falsified their birth certificates to get into the service. There were guys over there that were 15 and 16. What? Yeah, yeah. You know, to get into the service. You know, Why the hell? From. What the hell was they? I mean, life had to be hell for you to 
leave the states and go over to get killed in vietnam exactly right exactly but in some places you know it's not easy you know not easy for us you know but anyway i wound up in taipei taiwan and taichung and tainan where i i, I became um I, I worked in communications and intelligence, and when I got out the service, um, I used to go to uh, Sigma Sound in Philadelphia and uh, try to audition for sessions. This was back in 1970, 71. Mm. And uh, finally, one day, somebody asked me if I knew something about a Putney synthesizer, and I said, sure. I didn't, but you know, I figured it out. <laughs> I don't think they were they were they weren't using those type of instruments. Uh and uh they weren't I don't think Philadelphia International were using those type of instruments like no, early no, on. I know I know Mr. Huff, he did a lot of the piano work early. Yeah, no nobody was using synthesis. Um I started uh doing synthesis sessions uh credited and uncredited and then I met Al Perlman the guy that created the ARP synthesizer and he gave me an ARP 2600V that I started using on all my sessions once I you know became uh, a member of Yellow Sunshine I started you know using it for sessions that we played on you know and um, then from then I started playing with MFSB live the next thing I knew, I was asked to write, this was in 74, to write some songs, which I did for Billy Paul and MFSB, and, and that's how I got signed at PIR. Okay, so let's let's run it back. Let's run it back, because you, you okay. mentioned Yellow Sunshine. You mentioned yes, Yellow Sunshine. Yeah, um, that's a classic. A lot of people may not know, man. If, if you can find that Yellow Sunshine album with you guys with them, the, the, the yellow hats and the the, the plaid uh the plaid the plaid the uh white and yellow plaid pants on I, I don't know what you guys was thinking man <laughs> but if, you can find, if anybody can find that album that album is worth a lot of money at the same time i was a member of instant funk oh my goodness mm. yeah i, I had no idea little arrangements when when we were signed at pir and so hold on, hold on. Let's 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 go ahead. Let's 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 go back. To, see now, I'm becoming. Let me. I'm, I'm about to go into music nerd mode. You know, th these type of interviews, it, it gets a little personal because I'm a huge PIR as you as you guys can see, a huge PIR fan. So, um, how did you? How did you? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, how did you? Uh, how did you guys put together Yellow Sunshine? Because a lot of people don't know. Uh, a lot of the guys that came from. Uh, well, I'm not going to say a lot of the guys, but some of the guys that came from Yellow Sunshine end up evolved and end up going into MFSB. So how did you guys put that together? Actually, Carl and Roland Chambers were actually members of MFSB when they started forming Yellow Sunshine back in 72. And uh, they heard me doing a session and asked me to join. And Mighty Mick, the, key, uh, the conga player, heard me at a club too and said, well, you know, I know these guys from MFSB and um, they're interested in you and and would you mind you know joining the group and i said sure and i became a member of yet we only did the one album yeah just one album okay yeah and um because then after that i kind of moved on and me and t life who was a member of uh, a group that was at pir for a minute i can't think of the name of his group but anyway him him and i 
uh, back in 74, we started our own little company called Mills and Mills. Okay. And uh, one of the young girls, and, and when we were signed at PIR as writers, one of the young ladies that was cleaning our rooms, uh, the, uh, the King family came through and was cleaning, you know, they cleaned up uh, all the offices and stuff. And we heard her singing and T said, man, I, I really like her voice and, and we're going to do something with her. But then me and T broke up. Even though we signed her to Mills and Mills, I signed with PIR literally at the same time. And he went on with Mills and Mills and signed Bubbles. And, and we went into the studio and cut her first album. Um, and uh, that, um, Bubbles, <laughs> that's funny. Evelyn Champagne King, shame. Evelyn Champagne King. <laughs> Wow. But that's what we used to call them bubbles. I was just about to okay if that was a nickname you guys gave. Because um, yeah, so, yeah. okay, okay. Because so, uh, T like he 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 the one he brought and produced uh, Shane. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, but I I also cut the track. Me and me and Instafone cut the track for Shane. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, and I did the mm. I did the uh, rhythm chart, and also I wrote a song and did the rhythm chart for that, and that was the show is over. On, on, on that first album for Edward. Yeah. Okay. That's but cool. anyway, so That's at cool. the same time, I had signed with PIR and, and because he heard, Gamble heard those arrangements I had been doing for Bunny Sigler on Carl Carlton and uh, Johnny Nash. I, I, I was writing all of Bunny Sigler's uh, 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 horn arrangements at that time. So he asked me to, to write something for a Memphis beat, which I did. And that that most of that stuff, that early stuff, is on that MFSB Philadelphia Freedom album. Okay, so that's the album that you you know because um, I noticed there was a second wave of MFSB. Yes, and a lot of people may not notice for diehard purists like myself. So when I think of the first wave of MFSB, I think of the core members was Earl Young. Ronnie Baker, Baker and Norman Harris. Harris. That's the core guys. I, 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 we can name Lenny Pecula and all those guys, but I, those were the core guys. Yeah. And they left in late 75. And then yeah, comes... Yeah, late 75, uh, uh, they started their own label called Golden Fleece. Golden Fleece, mm -hmm. which was, I believe, a subsidiary of Philadelphia. Yeah, Atlanta. it was the, a subsidiary. They, they didn't do too much, but... Um, um, you know, they had a couple of hits um, outside of Golden Fleece as producers. Okay. Yeah. So, no. So, so here we go. 1976, the second wave, I, call, I like to call it, of MFSB. And you're like a central part of that. So, what was it like, you know, coming behind Norman Harris, man? Like, because you're pretty much replacing him. In a sense. Well, actually, who I wound up replacing. Not, 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 I'm not Norman Bobby Harris. Martin. Bobby Martin, I apologize. Norman Harris, Martin, the good song. Yeah, player. I became their live conductor right. and producer, basically, you right. know, with that Philadelphia Freedom album and the Mysteries of the World album, you know. Um, it was challenging at first because, you know, I was so young and I'm not quite sure of why Don Ronaldo chose me. He, he was the lead contractor of the orchestra and everything. Um, but for whatever reason, um, I, you know, it, it, we, we were able to keep it going. You follow okay. me, Philadelphia Freedom, 
and then the Mysteries of the World album. You know what I'm saying? Which really, that that, that particular song was a big hit over in Europe and France, you know? And um, so we were able to keep it going because what happened with MFSB is this. The sound that Bobby Martin, Bobby Martin and Tom Bell were these incredible arrangers, you know? that really changed, like, like Tommy gave a, 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 a beauty to arranging R&B songs that really hadn't been heard prior to him, you know what I'm saying? And Bobby Martin, uh, he was able to add a, a, an extraordinary sounds and horns and strings together in a way with a, a little jazz bits here and there that really helped all the artists and develop that early Philadelphia sound. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so when Bobby left, um, and, and and Baker Harrison Young left, and Tommy was gone for all intents and purposes, because by then he was doing his own stuff with you know um, the Spinners. He was he had left left doing the stylistics, all that stuff he did with the stylistics. He would he, he would he would do spinners, he, he would do the stylistics, Delphonics. The, well, early on the Delphonics, of course. Yeah. yeah. So for for me, like I was saying, I, I, you know, it was it was a challenge, you know, but it it lasted for a, num- a number of years. We kept it going, you know. And the key thing, what most people don't know about MFSB, is that that early MFSB was also the Nor the uh, Harris Machine, Norman Harris's album, the Harris Machine. Mm-hmm. It was Vince Montana or Montana. It was the South Soul Orchestra, you know what I'm saying? That's they so cut cool. all those records for South Soul, Soul yeah. Records, you know what yeah. I'm saying? It was it was the Richie family. The Richie, I was saying? just trying to think of the Richie family. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, no, most people think of the girls, the ladies in the Richies, you know, but it was the same orchestra, mm-hmm. it was the same members, you know what I'm saying? Right, right. And, um, <laughs> And it was uh, uh, an amazing group of musicians, you know. Even after uh, uh, um, um, Baker Harrison Young left, you know, uh, uh, um, other musicians came in and Sugar Bear playing the bass, Dennis uh, Harris on the guitar, you know, uh, uh, Collins on the drums, you know. um, And they kicked it right on off. I mean, the first major stuff they did with MFSB, that new rhythm section was that first New Rawls album with You'll Never Find. You'll you know, they all fine. <laughs> you know, so they kept it going. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No doubt. So yeah, it was uh, it, it was a transitional point, like you're saying, you know? Yeah. And and uh, for me, definitely definitely changed it. It seemed yeah, like for we, me, we but Billy always liked my synthesis and he would tell me, Dex, you know, Whenever you're writing your arrangements, you should add synthesis somehow because it makes you different. Right. So, you know, Billy Paul's telling me to do this, and I said, okay. <laughs> oh, you you wrote so some you wrote some joints, you wrote some some, some classes with Billy Paul. Oh, yeah, I know they're right. I'd go in and lay tracks with my sense and, and or after I wrote strings and horns for right. something and rhythm charts for something, and it seemed to work out over over the years, you know. Okay, now now. Throughout all my years of studying Philadelphia International, I never heard anybody ever talk about like why did you know Norman Harris and Ronnie Baker and Ariel why did they leave? You know why why did they end up you know leaving Philadelphia International? Well, because 
don't forget, they were musicians. They were getting paid through the union. You know, even when Norman was writing arrangements for Kenny, you know, he was getting paid that. They wanted to make some money. And it was really all about the money. You know, the the name, their names had become popular. You know what I'm saying? So they decided, look, we'll do our own label. You know, we're going to go out and we're going to try to make some money, you know. And that's really what it was all about. With Bobby Martin, uh, it, it's basically the same way. Even though Bobby Martin was doing productions for Gamble and Huff, don't forget, it was Philly International Records, was Gamble and Huff at the top, you know, and and every song they wrote would be like generally the first singles. You know, yeah, it seemed like that. Like, I, I don't think we, <laughs> I had a conversation with me and Cam was talking about that. A single here or there, but Bobby was like, yeah. man, I can't get a single. <laughs> so yeah. don't forget Bobby Martin after he left PIR he he showed that he LTD. was a producer and writer I mean yeah. LTD and, and the Manhattan so let's just kiss and say goodbye yeah. you know Bobby Martin was yeah. as good as anybody else when it came to production you know yeah. so and his arrangements of course were like beautiful, beautiful. Uh, I mean, so what was you know, me and Mrs. Jones <laughs> yeah, so, and then add about 50 more after that and he was like such a great mentor to me he he actually would look at some of my charts and say dex you're gonna voice your horse that low and i was uh, uh, and i say should i move him up a third yeah let me tell you something the song backstabbers right Bobby Martin wrote the strings. I'm sorry. Bobby Martin wrote the horns. Tom Bell wrote the strings. <laughs> I had no idea oh, Tom Bell had something to do with that. So I thought Anthony Jackson played it. Well, he played, yeah. Uh, no, Anthony Jackson was playing bass. The bass. His big record with the OJs that he's a co-writer on is Money, Money, Money. That's How do I Jackson. forget that? I apologize. Because <laughs> ah, he does the... Don't, 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 and um, for the love of money. Right, for the love mm, of money. Yeah. My, my, my apologies. I'm getting old. <laughs> so look, let's back, let's back it up. Let's back it up a little bit, uh, Dexter, because 1976 was a huge year. Like I said, you guys dropped, um, you know, you guys, you, you guys dropped a lot of classic music, but this album, I feel like a lot of people, um. I, I feel it did very well, but I feel like this album was a very pivotal moment for this particular artist and this particular group. And you know, I believe you know who I'm talking about. And I'm talking about the one and only Michael Jackson and the Jacksons. That first album, Epic Records slash Philadelphia International. And you did, I believe you produced and wrote two songs on that. So. Talk about working with a young, a teenage Michael's, you know, at this time. And I want you to talk about it, but talk about like working with uh, a young Michael Jackson before he really just took off. What was that like? And how, and how did, and matter of fact, how did that come together? How did you get involved with that, uh, that first Jackson's album? Well, what happened was uh, when they signed with PIR, the next thing I knew, Kenny called me to his office and he said, listen, the Jacksons want to work with you. And I was like, what? I mean, it's flattered, <laughs> man. I said, wait a minute. I, uh, why? 
well, they like your stuff, you know, you're different. And they were, so it turned out that on both of those albums, I became their arranger for any of the songs they wrote, I arranged. Okay. And also helped them produce along with right. other people, you know. But uh, the problem was, is that Michael's voice was changing. You know, but the, the brothers still wanted him to carry all the leads, you know, so. And he was a little, you know, uh, taken aback as far as what to do with his voice early on. But we we were able to manage, you know, getting them in a, a, a sound that, that helped him develop his voice. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like some of the stuff I did with them that they wrote, I really liked the sound of his voice because he was trying different things and they were too, you know, like blues away and a different kind of lady. We tried different. I things, love that song. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So, and, and then by the end of the second album, his voice was there. And um, I thought we were going to do a third album and I wanted to do some really funky dance stuff with them, you know, and that's exactly what they did when they left. They kind of like did that first uh, group album um, um, with Shake Your Body, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Destiny. The Destiny album. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, 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 I have a friend that I uh, can't think of his name right now. Um, keyboard player. Greg Gaines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and me, me and Greg, Greg talk about that all the time. You know about you know how um, they they really were able to yeah you know stabilize and and and, and let his voice grow in those few years he was they were at PIR. I, I mentioned those albums because you know a lot of times when we think of Michael Jackson. Or even when we think about the Jackson Five, I, 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 I tend to get a feeling that a lot of us forget about that. I, t I like to call it like that bridge between him going from a young child right. sensation to an adult sensation because it, it, it seemed like it just, it, you know, it happened so fast. You know, you got he's, he's doing Dance Machine and then next thing you know, a couple of years later, he's doing off the wall but people forget about those I, I i feel like sometimes people forget about those two albums because there was a lot of classics on that and i remember seeing you and your son and and is this um is this pops is this it was that him in a video it's on youtube it's floating around on you on youtube pop oneself yeah is this because it is it's, it, i believe it's you uh, your your, your yeah, son yeah, and yeah, like the Jacksons yeah. in the studio in Sigma yeah, Sound. He did, a, he did he did a video that um, it's like 1976, 77, something like that. But it's been floating around on YouTube for like a decade now. Yeah, yeah. Um, can 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 I step away for a second? No problem. Go ahead. Give, give me a second. You and Cam talk for a second. Please. All right, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm gonna edit it. Okay. No. So y'all how y'all? Hey, what's man, going what's on, boss man? Hey, it's an honor. I gotta, we, I, I, we, I gotta put something together with you, brother. Like for folks who don't know, man, this is Pops Wazel, man. This one of the dopest producers, man, in, in the, the past, uh, this past decade, man. I'm talking about he produced from damn near everybody, man. Uh, this, it's it's an honor to have you on, man. Like, how how was it, man? You know, growing up, you know, like I, I remember, like I was just talking with with, with Dexter. 
I was talking with your pops, and there was a video that been circled, that been floating around on YouTube of a little boy in the studio with Mr. Wanzel. Is that you? That's not me. <laughs> who, who is that kid? Because I in the comments, like, I don't know. I was born, I, I was born in 78, so I don't know who yeah. that no, that's is. That's not but... me. That's uh I wasn't born yet. Oh, that's Christopher. That's that's my that's my older brother, Chris. Oh, so that so that that's okay. So he is related. So that is that is his son. That is your brother. Close. Was close. Yeah. I was close. Okay, okay. <laughs> the people everybody was saying everybody was saying that was you. No, I wasn't I I'm I was born in eighty eight. <laughs> 88. Oh, shit, man. I, 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 I 88 too. <laughs> oh man, y'all, y'all around, y'all the same age, man. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, me and you was around the same age. Yeah, I'm right there with you, pop. Yes, sir. Yeah, that was, I was, yeah. that was, that was 88. I okay, mean, okay, nah, that's that's dope, man. So what was it like, you know, real quick, man? Because I want to get deck, I want to get your your pops back on, man. But yeah. what was it like, man? Like growing up in 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 the Wanzell household, man. Like how did you get involved in music, man? Did you pick up? Did you? initially pick up you know your chops from your from from your dad or did you was it something that took you know something that was uh delayed until you got a little older how did, how did it all come about no i wasn't very delayed at all it was um it was pretty innate in second nature like almost right away um my school when i started kindergarten my elementary school was like seven blocks away from philly international oh, on, okay. on 309 south broad street so i started just going to 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 the studio with him after school a lot and that's when i kind of picked up actually creating no making beats and programming and stuff like that okay um but i i just felt like i understood what good music was supposed to sound sound like pretty early mm. um it was a musical household you know, between him making music and me having all my older siblings, there was a lot of us under one roof. Okay. Um, everybody had different like musical tastes and just was now now was it like, you know, because a lot of times you had like right here you this Cam Jones, you know, and he's the son of Shirley Jones. I don't know if you if you guys have ever met who's right beside you. No, I don't I don't heard I don't heard a lot about him. I feel like I done crossed paths and but it's good to meet you, bro. Like, yeah, real, so, man. so, so, yeah, absolutely, dog. Yeah, man, y'all, you guys should link up, man. You guys should, yeah, you guys absolutely. should, I'll let y'all, you let For you guys sure. talk, talk off air, man. But, you know, yeah. I, I have conversations with Cam all the time as far as like, uh, being, a, being the son of a, uh, of, a, of, of an artist, man. And, you know, did you truly appreciate, man, like the contributions of your father, man? Like, did you realize, like, how big of a deal he was, man? You know, as a young kid, when did it when did it hit you? Like, damn, my dad didn't work with the Jacksons. My dad didn't work with, you know, uh, Lou Rawls. My dad didn't work with OJ. You know, this all these dope artists, man. When did it hit you? Um, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't hit me until I was really a, a teenager. And when I saw the things that I looked up to mm -hmm. myself, Kanye and and, and the Just Blaze. Those dudes was like, yeah, you know how they felt about him made me realize, like, you know, oh shit, this is who who he is. And I was really, 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 really into sampling by that time too. So I would be sampling things, just 
and not even intentionally sampling them because he was a part of it, but realizing that later on I sampled something that he was a part of, that he played right. on, that he arranged, that he produced, that he wrote. Um, that was so I think when I started to really dig into the crates and study sampling and learn learn about music and breaks and stuff like that is when I really realized how pivotal mm. of a part he plays in that and, and, and a lot of other producers' um, careers and influence, influences. Yeah, that's man, that's 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 legendary, man. Like, dope. you know, because when I when I a lot of times when you have an artist that's a producer or a singer, sometimes I feel like they kind of shy away from that. They don't want to go follow after those footsteps, and that's one of the things I love about uh, Cam, man, because Cam embraces that. Do you, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? As far as you know, uh, being the son of an of an artist, man, did you all do you feel like you always embraced that or? That took some time. Um, I say it took some time. You know, I didn't use my last name for a long time. Right. I didn't use my last name until I had my first number one record, and then at, and then right after that, I started using my last name. Now, what was the first? The, the first number one was what? Uh, my first number one record was, uh, was your love. Yup. Yeah, thanks. You know, the love? Which one? Yeah, it was it was your it was your love. By, okay. Uh, Nikki. Yeah. And then after that, I was crediting on that record as as Pop Justified. After that, I started using my last name. Once. Okay, all right. Because I wanted to. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was you know, young. Why do y'all do that though? Like I don't. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I never. Like I be telling Cam, man. Like you know, you know I, what I, it is. And it's it's different. Different. It's different. Explain it. Explain it to me. It's I'm trying a, to get it it's, a, it's a thing in this business um, that I see and that I saw a lot of, of with other people and I learned from a lot of other people's mistakes and I just saw the the spite and the entitlement, just a lot of other shit that we could get into and talk about all day long, but I didn't want nobody to be able to say that they did anything for me for any other reason other than mm. that they had to because I'm good at what I do. Right. I didn't want to hear nobody be like, yeah, well, you know, I did this for your father. I did this because of this, because of this. And, and not that it was such a big deal with him, but there were just a lot of boxes and that I checked off and a lot of I's that I had to dot and T's that I crossed. Right. Several of them, and just that one of them um, was me not using my last name in the beginning as well um, to get to a point to where... Uh, I could really have control and not owe nobody. Not talking about my dad, but just other people. Because right. in the beginning, we tried a lot of things. He he gave my he gave my CDs and my my demos and things that I was working on to a lot of people. And um, you know, some weren't receptive. I, I maybe I had a little more development uh, to 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 go through, or I had a lot to to learn. And but. It was through those experiences that I said, I wonder if I start, because when I start going hard and I start doing this my own way, and I come into this as just damn near, you know, an un, un, uh, unknown figure, how, how will it go? Right. And um, there was, like I said, there's a lot of other layers to it, but yeah, it was important for me to get to a place um, 
it was important for me to get to a place on my own so that right. I could take some control mm-hmm. and go back and not only protect myself, but protect my dad moving forward too. And that's a whole other story, but. For sure. Can you can you kind of relate to that, Cam? Yeah, I, I got a quick question for you, Pop. Um, how was it being able to balance? Um, you know, coming from a, le- a legend, a lot of times people automatically assume that you kind of have peaches and cream rolled, like peaches, you know, everything just laid out for you. How was it being able to balance and, and, and you know, make sure that you, you pave your own lane instead of, you know, just, just piggybacking and, you know, was it easy being able to balance that or did you did you come across any conflict? Um, I, not necessarily conflict, but I just found myself explaining to people a lot of the mm. times, like, it's not what you think. Exactly. You know, um, exactly. I can understand why they would assume. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think of a catalog like my father's and mm-hmm. you think that he was, you know, fucking well off somewhere and it's just exactly. not how business was done when he was doing me. it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can relate, bro. Like, you know, that, that's just not how it was done when he was yeah. doing it. And so now, like I yeah. said, that was another thing. I'm going to get myself to a point where I'm so respected, and I'm so and I'm and I'm, and I'm so kind of like bulletproof within my business, in all aspects of my business, that um, I don't have to go through the things that my dad did. Mm. And he don't have to go through them no more moving forward because he's still active, mm-hmm. right? He's still a performer. He's still an arranger. He's still a producer. He's still a writer. And now we do things a different way. Okay. So me not using my last name in the beginning, that's that's that was the biggest reason why. Because I wanted to accumulate and achieve as much as I could and then throw my last name in there. Because guess what? There is still people at that time that was active in the business mm-hmm. that kind of like, did shady shit to him or you know back in them times and they had to they had to see me they had to see me win some of them people had to do business with me mm-hmm. and it wasn't like and it was and they had to do real business with me. yeah yeah yeah. they go they go, they go have it's to, not it's not cheap business they go they go they go have to come correct absolutely they, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah so it was, it was, it was sure. like i said it was a lot, a lot of little different variables to that it had nothing to do with me being yeah embarrassed or ashamed of my name i mean what a fucking name um, yeah absolutely excuse me excuse my language but nah, um, that's why right after i put that name back on i wanted to continue hope i you know can continue um nah brother very, I'm, I'm looking at very, this catalog man I'm, I'm looking i'm like damn i did not realize how many i thought i knew the catalog man i'm just like damn man you you gotta have, now and now as i look at this catalog man i'm talking about I mean, you didn't you didn't brought for Alisa, uh, Kara, Jason Derulo, Tori Lane. Like when you came into the game, brother, and I could go on and on, man. We could go Nicki Minaj, Jesse. We could go on Jennifer Lopez, Big Sean. When you came into, you know, when you came into the game, was it always? Did you always have this mindset that I'm going to work across uh, a multitude of uh, different genres, or you know, because no. you come from a R&B, no. you know, your father's an R&B legend. Yeah, and no, <laughs> I came in thinking that I was a rap producer and a rap writer, and that was very short-lived. I still do it to this day, but it was just limited because my style of producing and writing is, is musical. Right. And there ain't too many rappers that 
understood the melodic rappers did, and those are the ones you see on my resume, the ones that can kind of, you know, sing and understand melody. Like Tory Lanez. And Wiz and, you know, yeah. so my, my association, not my association, but just like the amount of like, my, my success rate with rappers are lower because, you know, the, I, I lean toward melodic rappers and what that did was. Man, fuck that rap shit, man. The money is at in the, the them pop records, man. The pop records and them, them art, the, the good kisses, the, the you know well, what I'm saying? There, there, there is a big pay difference, but you know, for me, it's just about. I'm, I'm just playing. I'm just. I'm no, 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 no. no but, but, you, but, not, but not for nothing. Right. Like, rap, rap is a shitty business. Um, it is, man. I'm just, I'm just being honest, man. I ain't. No, it is. It is. I'm gonna keep it 100, man. I'm look. I'm looking at the the hits that you done did with these R&B and these pop artists. Really? Man, this shit is ridiculous, man. This shit is crazy. We talk about Marvin and Chardonnay. We talk yeah. about your love. We talk about good. This is ridiculous, bro. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a path that I expected. I, I thought, you know, well, one coming in with Nikki, I didn't know. I knew she'd be big. I didn't know how big she'd be. Right. Um, not surprised, but just you, know, you never know. Um, but yeah, man, um, the pop and R and B thing just came because I understand music. And right. you feel like you feel like having that, um, you know, with your father being Dexter ones there, you feel like that kind of gave you like an edge, you know, gave you like an not an edge, but an, an advantage over a lot of um, you know, producers, you know, especially um, in the in the genres that you uh, you know, that you move in. Well, definitely gave me an advantage just just in having someone there that knows and understands the, the history. Right. And um, the essence of, you know, Army. But I, I guess you could consider that an advantage. Yet. I don't feel like you should be. Uh, I, I feel. I, I feel like you should be unapologetic about it. Like I don't feel like. Nah, yeah. Yeah, because sure. you took. You took. And 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 I could be wrong, but you you took some time thinking about that. But I'm like, hey, brother, you, you, your pop, your, your pops passed the baton off, and you ran with it. That's how I look yeah. at it. Like I and I say the same thing about you too, Cam. You know, you could have just. You could, you know, we know where the talents come from, but you could have just right. been like, eh, I'ma just, I'ma be a, you know, a carpenter, or nah, I'm just, I'ma wait, I'ma waste it. So I don't feel like, I don't feel like you should have to apologize for that. Not saying that you are, not saying that you're doing that, but I'm just saying, I just feel like sometimes, man, guys like you, like you two, you know, um, I personally feel like you guys should embrace it, you know, because what what came, uh through you guys man you know as you guys um continue to pursue you guys you know your, your, your careers man um you guys are carrying on the tradition carrying on the legacy and and the culture we appreciate that i just want to say that well Hello. i appreciate that and um i don't have to be long be long-winded sometimes i apologize man. <laughs> no 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 it's, it's all good i'm just a little tired that's all it's all good um, but yeah, bring I, bring bring pops back in here, man. I got some I got some questions I want to ask him. Man. <laughs> you good? Okay. Well, I appreciate y'all, man, for real. Appreciate no, I didn't, and I, hey, look, look, look. We gotta we gotta link up, brother. We gotta link up, man. I want to do. I, I would love to do a whole interview because again, man, I'm I'm a huge fan of your work as well, man. So 
Thank you, brother. Thank you for dropping in, man. I really appreciate it, man. And God bless you. And just continue killing the game, man. Continue right. doing what you're doing, brother. Pop. I appreciate it. I, I look forward to, you know, I got a lot coming next year. And it's going to be a good year. He's got a lot yes, coming sir. next year, too. So no yes, doubt. Sir. No doubt. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all, man. Hey, Pop, right, appreciate Pop, you, bro. All right, Pop. You, you take yeah. it easy, brother. Peace out. You family, bro. Be good, bro. Yes, yes sir. Man, that was dope. That was dope. The one and only, the one and only Pops Wanzel, man. The catalog speaks for itself. The catalog speaks for itself. So, so look, Dexter, thank you so much, man, because I really wanted to ask you. I, 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 we was gonna, I was gonna mention your son in the interview, but um, shoot, we pretty much, uh, you know, killed two birds with one stone. <laughs> so thank you brother thank you so much but i want to i want to go back to you you know and i don't want to hold you because again you know i'm okay. representing that i'm representing that philadelphia international and i can i can get on my nerd i can get on my nerd music nerd thing i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to reel it back a little bit you know because i know a lot of these questions that i that i'm asking these are personal these are this is personal because i'm really a fan i'm really like seriously i'm really a fan of the music so i want to i want to talk about you releasing your first album life on mars 1976 how what led you to releasing a solo album you know did you always look at yourself as an artist because you know for years you've been in the background and then no you know, no no. Talk about what that. Happened, what, what happened was uh, <clears throat> when I started writing those derangements and writing songs for PIR, um, they said, we're, we're going to sign you to an in-house contract. We're going to make you an in-house writer and producer. And so I said, great. And then. Um, now, who, who said that? Mr. Gamble? Yeah. Gamble. Um, and Huff and um, the guy that was in charge at the time. Can't think of his name now. But anyway, so they developed it. They made this contract. And of course, in 74, you know, I uh, even without having signed it, I started working, you know, on a lot of stuff in the studio for them as a, as a producer and arranger and composer. Right. Um, so I signed the contract and uh, the, the, the lawyer they had me talk to was saying, you know, they're saying uh, this is an artist contract too. And I'm saying, well, what am I supposed to do? And they said, and he said, well, you're, you know, they'll talk to, talk to you about it. So I just signed it, you know. And um, they said they wanted me to do an album. And um, so I did. And initially, what I did was, you know, I, um, I explored a lot, you know. Um, as a kid, I I, I, I love looking at the stars. And, you know, I loved I loved the album cover. I loved that first album cover, man. man part of my life grew up on a farm, and then my other part was in the, the deep North Philly, you know. Brimmer, you uh, Brimmer, uh, Philadelphia, the Brimmer neighborhood. I was born in Brimmer, but I lived in North Philly, which was a black projected area. You know, okay. and um, so I wanted to experiment, and those album, that album, allowed me to experiment in ways that I kind of couldn't do with initially with other artists. 
Right. You know, initially, I had to kind of like stay away from experimental stuff, you know, yeah. like the stuff I did on Anthony White or I did with Lou early on. Or oh, I forgot about me and Khalif was just talking about that Anthony White album. Yeah, yeah. That was a very, very, very slept on album, man. Yeah. Well, it, I, I liked Anthony a lot, but uh, K- Kenny had decided to sign um, Teddy. So he wanted to focus on Teddy and let Anthony go. But I like that album too. Because yeah, he only, he, I believe, he only did one album. Sessions for that album, and I did, um, I did a, t- a total uh, arranging, arrangement and production of a cover song. Can't remember the name of it. Um, uh the Barry Manilow uh, one. Um, um, could it be magic? Could it be magic? Oh yeah, man, yeah, I love yeah, that song. Yeah. That's the Barry Manilow song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I love that song. Yeah, I really liked his voice and, uh, and I voice. loved his texture. But you know, great voice. You don't hear no synthesizers or experimentation on that on my production arrangement of that. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, and, and this is what I'm, you know, when I talk, when I think of the second wave of Philadelphia, man, I really feel like you're you're like the, you know, like one of the the, the cornerstone pieces of that because you did not hear a lot of synthesizer. ARP, Odyssey, different type of, you didn't hear a lot of that in the pre, um, you know, you didn't, pre Norman Harris, well, I'm not going to say pre him, but, you know, uh, you didn't hear a lot of that during the Norman Harris, Ronnie Baker, Earl Young uh, era of MFSB. And it seemed like the sound changed when you joined. Well, like the I mean, I, I, they had done it. Listen, listen, they had done it. Bobby Martin's arranging and conducting him live, and, and they had done it as good, good as it gets, you know, for forty-piece orchestra, you know. So I, I had to do something different, and, and so I did. No doubt. No. When you, when you, when you look back on those years at Philadelphia International, man, did you ever realize that these, you know, that Philadelphia International would be this? iconic you guys are celebrating you know 50 years i believe uh of this year would you ever would you ever thought that man look 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 what we have accomplished did it ever you know did it ever dawn on you like man i can't believe i was a part of that and not just a part of that i was a major central piece of that you know well well a, a lot of you know, I was honored to work with all of those artists and musicians, you know. Um, I went to a funeral today and it was for an engineer that worked at PIR uh, named Michael Tarzia. He was- That's Joe, son, Joe, uh, Joe Tarzia. Yeah, man, and, sorry. And to... Joe and Cecilia were there. Sorry and, to hear that. We talked a little bit, you know, uh, Joe Tarzi's Sigma Sound Studios was one of the greatest recording studios in, in the U.S. That's a fact. Man, one without point, question. You know? That's without a fact. question. And um, all the PIR stuff was done at Sigma. The South Soul stuff was done at Sigma, you know. Um, other groups would come in from around the world. David Bowie. Yeah, Eddie Kendricks. Madonna. They would all come to Sigma, you know. And uh, Michael, as a kid, grew up at Sigma, you know, watching his father. His father is one of the great engineers and helped to create this CD. 
uh, Joe Tarzi helped to create the compact disc back in the day. And um, so, you know, it brought back a lot of memories. And the most important thing that, that I, I felt today was I was honored to be there with them, to be with those artists, not, not just at PIR, but at, at the Uptown too, you know? Um, to to be able to hear them and to watch them and to be inspired by them, you know. Um, 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 one of the ladies I used to walk from the Uptown to the EPA club when I was like nine, eight, nine years old was um, Billie Holiday. You know, I used to get to hear her sing, you know, right before she passed away. She would call my mom and my mom would get dressed up and I would say, Mom, where are you going? She says, well, Billy just called. I said, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I got, to, um, I got to work with, you know, the original Impressions had two brothers and Jerry Butler, you know, and I was their little gopher at the Uptown. And then uh, as a producer at PIR, Gamble walks Jerry to my office and says, Jerry, I want to introduce you to Dexter. And um, Jerry looked at me and he said, Dexter, you, ain't, you still ain't combing your hair. Because <laughs> I used to be his little gopher, you know, yeah. as a kid, you know, yeah. for him and Curtis and the rest of the impressions. Mm -hmm. And um, the same way with all the artists that were on the King Records tour. It wasn't just James Brown, but there were other great artists on that tour, you know. Right. Um, um, when uh, the Ike and Tina Turner uh, tour came through, that was one of my last gigs at the Uptown was to work that show. And, um, I mean, just all of the great musicians that sat on the stage and played behind all the groups that would come through for years at the Uptown, you know, all the jazz shows. And then that's, I, I was there. I got to see a lot of that. You know, and then at PIR, I got to uh, uh, learn how to work with artists, learn their voices, learn their instruments, uh, figure out how to um, develop sounds that that would go along with their sound. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm. I, I mean, today I, I just stood there and I was thinking, you know, you know, I'm like I'm, I'm like literally living vicariously through you right now. Like just hearing these stories, I, I, I can I can just I can just picture it. Like I can just just imagine just being around all this talent, man. I, I, I it's, it's amazing just hearing these stories. So that, I think, well, maybe you you feel what I feel. You know? No, I do. As a kid growing <laughs> up, all along, you know. To be a part of, yeah. of music and those wonderful artists and great, great musicians and engineers and uh, people that really wanted to make music in ways that others could enjoy, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. So what? So, you know, I, I, I meant to ask this question earlier, and if you jump in whenever you want, uh, Cam. For sure. I want I want to ask the brother uh, Dexter this man like like I said when I think of you I think of one of the, the greatest uh, keyboard players man of the you know the, the the 70s man and you know who were some of your influences who were some of the peers who were some of the guys that 
rivals you, you know, some of the guys that influence you uh, during that time, you know, whether it's this guy, that guy, or, you know, who was some of the guys that you was like, man, he got, man, he working with something over there, you know? <laughs> um, That's tough. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, uh, my stepfather, Clinton Woods, would play a lot of jazz and um, and I would listen to jazz keyboardists growing up. And um, I think they influenced me subconsciously, even though I, you know, my main instrument was the cello and the flute, but I, I would use keyboards, you know, to, to write and to, um, and to, to cut tracks, you know, mm -hmm. and, and um, as far as being um, a, a keyboardist, being influenced by other keyboardists, yeah, I mean, uh, or inspired, maybe, maybe not influenced. Let me let me say inspired, maybe inspired. My first keyboard that I played was the organ. That, that you know, like I was saying, Dave Babe Cortez and um, and Doc Bagby. You know, one of my first mentors, and then I met Jimmy Smith on one of the jazz shows. You know? Ooh, Jimmy and, Smith. And he Jimmy, me. Jimmy Smith. Yeah, he was a jazz organist. You know? um, and um, then later on, um, on at the um, at the Aqua Lounge in, in Philly, and back in '74, I met Herbie Hancock. And he had just released an album called Headhunters. Oh, the Headhunters. Oh, my yeah. God. I'm and, sorry. Uh, that it. album uh, kind of inspired me to take a look at other things, you know, and, and to use more synthesis because, you know, he had this doctor. I can't remember the guy's name, but he also had an ARP 2600. And I would sit down and talk to him the guy that was programming the art for Kirby. Right. And I would sit down and talk to him and um, and I would talk to Al Perlman too about programming the, the, the 2600. And, um, so that inspired me, you know. Um, um, it's a great time. When I think back, yeah. you know, I think of all the, the artists. Um, it was just like, it, just, it, it was a great time, man. Yeah. yeah, I, I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, every, every record. Um, Bernie Korea, Warrell, you know. You ever hear Bernie Warrell? What's that? Bernie Warrell. You ever hear? Yes, Bernie of course. Warrell? A funkadelic pop parliament. He inspired me a lot too. Bernie you know, Warrell, yeah, that's my guy. And, and sine waves and Mary Dunn on the Moog, and and I talked to him on a couple of occasions. You know, which, I was with one? George Clinton a couple of years ago down in. Um, Bur Bernie I went down to, to see the uh, uh, was it Louisiana or Tennessee? No, Ducks, Mr. Wanza, you you said Bernie or uh, Larry Dunn? No, I said I was with George Clinton a couple mm. of years ago. You know, down at his studio. Right. Okay. And we were talking about Bernie. I went down there to see a full um, e uh, uh, eclipse, full solar eclipse, and uh, I went to his studio and talked with him and Bernie Warrell kind of influenced me when I would use the Moog or the uh, Oberheim for bass sounds that I would put on records and stuff. Um, he, he kind of influenced me, you know, and I think he's really underrated, Bernie Warrell. I think he's really, I mean, because he really took that Moog 
and 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 used it to to help create a funk sound that a lot of groups use, you know, mm -hmm. uh, especially the bass sound and the sine wave sounds, you know. And so, yeah, he definitely influenced me. Um, um, and um, so, you know, anyone I listen to influences, influences <laughs> me. I'm trying to, you know, remember why I did certain things and right. where it came from. I know that way. So, yeah, yeah. I want to I want I want to talk about this you know I want to I want to fast forward a little bit I want to um you know many artists have uh sampled a lot of your music uh and particularly uh you know theme from Mars um you know theme from the planets theme, theme from the planets I'm sorry right. theme from the planets uh hurry up this way again those songs have been heavily sampled so um talk about it a little bit what what was your what was your take on sampling when these rappers started to come out and sampling a lot of you guys music what was your initial take on it and how do you feel about it now my initial take on it was that uh, I, I i love that people were sampling feed from the planets and they've done it hundreds and hundreds of times um and then when in 92 when copyright kicked in and i started seeing a few pennies here and there that even helped it my whole thing with sampling is is that um, you know, unfortunately, um, uh, dis discriminatory practices in this country uh, did not allow for many of us, especially in, in poverty-stricken areas of this country, to, to learn uh, instrumentation or music or composition, you know? And so uh, sampling became an easy way to, to have music to use to to create what you wanted to do or say you know right. what i'm saying right so I, I i think that it was a source of, of foundation of the hip-hop era you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. being able to uh, use music that had already been recorded and it doesn't cost you nearly as much right back then it didn't cost you anything <laughs> see some people were here some people were here what you're saying and they would think that you're kind of taking a jab or at the hip-hop artist but when i hear you say that no. no i let me finish when when i hear you say that and most people who know exactly what you're talking about they will realize that what you're saying is actual actually facts it's actually facts um because during that time you know a lot of the programs like you said a lot of people forget that there was a time when you had a lot of different programs in the schools uh recreational programs even outside of schools and they came you know during the reagan administration different i don't want to get too much into politics but they removed those things so i just want to piggyback on what you said what, what you just said because i feel like what you just said was very profound and i don't want anybody to take that the wrong way but what you said was actually that's something that actually took place yeah and um so it, it started a revolution you know as far as young uh, people being able to get the, their voices heard mm. in ways that they wanted and messages heard you know in ways that they wanted um and even to this day theme from the planets is 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 sampled you know to death <laughs> and um <laughs> so I, death. I i i i love it you know i i love that that um that it's a foundation beat 
you know, for a, a part of a, a, one of our generations or a couple of our generations. I, I, I'm happy and I'm honored. No doubt. I got I got two particular songs I want to talk about. And I want Cam to jump in on this because you've worked with mm-hmm. his his mom as well, uh Shirley. And one of the songs is Absolutely. one of my favorite songs that you that you uh wrote and produced uh with your co-writer uh Mrs. Cynthia Biggs is Hurry Up This Way Again. Can you right. talk to me about the making of that song? How did you guys come about uh putting that one together? Because I I love that song to death, man. That's one of my favorite stylistic songs. Well, what what happened was at that time, um, I had been asked to become the um, A&R director at Philly International, which I accepted because Gamble and Huff weren't talking to each other, which is uh, for whatever reason, they were doing their own thing south there, you know. And um, the stylistics came through and I was told that um, I had to figure out how to do an album on it, you know. And um, the one thing, Tom Bell had created such incredible music with the stylistics, right. you know. Stop looking, listen, you know. You are everything. People make the world go round. God bless you. You make me feel brand new. Yes, how was I going to top that? you know what i mean right right i I get it you know what i'm gonna try to give them like a little uh, beat you know i'll give them something that they can you know do something to you know so i went in the studio with a um with uh, my my uh, basic band we had a little band herb smith pete um um I forget who was on the bass at that time, but you know, I took in my synthesizers and we created a rhythm track that had some rhythmic changes to it, you know, and I wrote a melody and, and um, a sing-along called Hurry Up This Way Again, and Cynthia helped me write the words, you know, and um, that's how I got the album started. Then I started pulling other people in to help do the productions and stuff like that you know and um i didn't write any strings and horns for it because i didn't want that you know on that song i wanted it to be heavily rhythm section vocalized with synthesis all right so listen man i want i want to piggyback because you just you just dropped the bomb when you said cynthia what stimulated the magic that you and Cynthia, you know, actually were able to uphold and and talk a little bit about the creation of Nights Over Egypt for me, if you don't mind, man. The creation of what? Nights Over Egypt. Oh. Sorry about that. Yep. Cynthia and I, um, what happened was she was a, writing, a writer at PIR and Gamble had let her go. Mm-hmm. And I have was doing so much stuff early on i wrote all my own lyrics right uh, but i was doing so much stuff then they had me uh, actually going out and, and promoting on tours my album life on mars and then it would fly me back in to produce and arrange projects that were at the label you know wow. and so i just said one day you know i got i gotta have some help and i asked cynthia she was studying to be a journalist and I was saying, well, you know, you probably understand words and can put them together in a way that, you know, could really 
be profound and would you work with me she said sure and uh, so she stayed you know uh, she stayed at PIR and we started writing songs together I would come up with the music and melodies and maybe a sing-along a few mm -hmm. phrases here and there and she would finish it up you know with words wow. and lyrics and um, so that's how that's how we uh, got started now with um, um, that song nights over Egypt mm -hmm. I was supposed to go to um, Machu Picchu and Giza Mm -hmm. Machu Picchu in Peru and Giza in Cairo with um, Slippery Rock College. Mm -hmm. um, and weeks before we were supposed to go, the State Department here in the U.S. red flagged the trip. Mm. Uh, there was stuff going on. They were concerned about what was happening, especially in um, Egypt. Um, with uh, all the turmoil that was going on. And around that time, Anwar Sadat had been as assassinated and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I decided I wanted to write um, a story, a song about Egypt and, and Peru anyway. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a song called um, The Clouds of Machu Picchu and Nights Over Egypt. Two mm -hmm. songs, Clouds of Machu Picchu and Nights Over Egypt. And that's how it came to be. I came up with uh, the music and the melody and a couple of phrases. And Cynthia took uh, the music and the melody and she went into a library and mm -hmm. studied up on uh, Egypt. Mm -hmm. And, and um, so her lyrics kind of define um, what the song is about, you know. It's a um, historical look at Egypt, basically. Simple. It's a simple historical look at Egypt. Right. right. Yeah. That's deep, man. I mean, y'all um obviously made a classic. Um, Dexter, I just want to say I appreciate you for that record and so many others. And, you know, just being, I feel like, you know, my PIR family, man. Anytime I talk to you, always, yeah. you always been been so kind man you know that's not my favorite record with the girls with your your mom oh and man sisters. I, I would imagine you did so my my favorite record that i worked with them on mm -hmm. shirley got really mad at me. really and what happened was i had cut the track in the wrong key <laughs> and the song is called it. love don't ever say Goodbye. love don't ever I say i got it i got that as a question i got that as a question we're out of here and Cynthia said, well, look, let's just go get some lunch. And I I personally went back in the studio, recut the drums, the bass, and the keys. Mm -hmm. And Miguel Fuentes was with me. My good friend Grover Washington was sitting in there laughing at me. The Whoa! Yes, holy he was on that. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Grover so Washington said, Jr. Yes, sir. <laughs> he was so, on that record. Yeah. So I played the basic melody for him, and he played sax around the melody. And when the girls came back from lunch, I said, "Okay, let's try." <laughs> Oh, what was it like with the, uh, with, with the Jones girls? What was that, you know, because you guys did a lot of, you, you guys did some great work with those girls. What, what was it like working with Shirley and, oh, the, you know, the whole, oh, are you the, kidding the, me? The legendary Jones girls. I, I got to tell you that they helped me in, in that part of career, uh, of my career, more than you, you can imagine. Like, anytime I had it. a project and I needed some help, 
and, and, and not just their project, but one of my projects or, or a Lou Rawls project or something like that, they would come and help me. I'd say, listen, what are you ladies doing? Y'all want to um, do some background and, and, you know, that kind of thing and help me out and make some checks, you know. And every time they would, they would come to the studio and say, what are we doing? You know, <laughs> hey. and uh, if you ever, um, um, I did a song on one of my albums that is big over in Europe, and I have to add it to my show because when I was in uh, London and Paris uh, recently, people were screaming to hear "I'll Never Forget My Favorite Disco." Man, I love that. I, that's and, another yeah, that's one. Your mom that's a, yeah, I like that. Uh, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good. I like that. Yeah. And then, hold on. Got that. How about? How about? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, how about? Balls, a lover's holiday. Oh, that's a, that's another good one. That's them. And, mm -hmm. and Brenda is talking to Luz. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, I had no yeah. idea. The yeah. female. Yeah. I always wanted the female voice. That's 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 yeah. Brenda Jones. So that's, so that's, that's Brenda. the that's hey. the Jones girls. Yeah. So let me I had no you. idea. I thought it was just yeah. a. And yeah. then when I when I got uh, released at PIR Capital, I'm, I'm sorry, um, uh, company Virgin Ten Records signed me to do one album, and and. And Shirley and Brenda and Valerie are doing all the background parts, and and that wow. one song they're doing the lead parts on. Um, that's um, um, captured. I was captured. Mm -hmm. I was caught. <laughs> Man, y'all yeah, have that's some classic. Yeah, that's and that's classic. just oh, a man. few of the things that they they help. Yeah. Oh so, yeah. What mm -hmm. did I think? Uh, how did I feel about working with them? Well, it, it, it was about the best experience that I don't get me wrong. I love working with all the artists, but they help me more than than uh, I, I can. Uh, you know, I can. I can't thank them That's enough. Crazy, That's man. awesome. That's awesome. That's crazy. Well, like, like I said, uh, um, you work with a lot of great artists at Philadelphia mm -hmm. International. But who were some of the artists at Philadelphia International that you? It, you wish you could have worked with because you know there's some some guys you know did you did were you able you know were you able to work with everybody you know yeah you well, <laughs> the only early on the uh, i didn't get and even work outside work, of philadelphia I didn't get to work with the three degrees because they were gone by 74. okay yeah okay. Uh, i did some sessions as a keyboardist with harold melvin and the blue notes and of course um, now this was with teddy when they, when Teddy was still with them, yeah. Oh wow! And, uh, what, song, what songs is those? I don't remember. <laughs> oh man, because I'm I'm a diehard uh, Bruno you fan. Know, I, I worked on all of Teddy's albums. Yeah, mm. right, right, right. Executive producer of his TP album. The TP album, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when he left PIR and started his Teddy Bear Productions, and um, he signed um, a tip. Um, I can't remember their names. Two artists that I did I did the productions for him. Uh, and um, oh man, Miles J. I've been a fool for you. 
I've been a fool for <laughs> you. Yeah, oh, you gave I like that song. Right I like that song. We did that for Teddy, you know, and um Well hold up. That was for that was gonna be for Teddy? That did the same thing with me you know he had me uh, produce and write songs for uh, the teenagers he signed uh, and, and called pieces of a dream oh yeah like, uh, uh, jazz, jazz fusion band and that stuff yeah stuff. yeah yeah it was dope i like I, that, that that song pieces of a dream is a classic yeah that yeah. title song um so i, I want to ask you why well, as we get out of here you know um just so much great memories when I think of uh, Philadelphia International. So many great artists that walked through those doors at Sigma Sound and 309. But um, in 2010, the Philadelphia International uh, headquarters burned down. And what, what do you think about that? Like, how did it, like, do you do you know the whole story of that? And, and what do you feel about that as far as uh, Philadelphia's, Philadelphia International's legacy? You know, because I remember just driving by Broad Street and just seeing those blue letters on that building and it just used to warm my heart. And it just kills me when I go to Philadelphia now and I just don't see that building, man. So what do you think about that whole situation? Um, you know, could it could have been saved or like, man. Uh, there's a, there is actually a video of the guy that, that, that set it on fire and he got caught. Um, I can't tell you uh, why it happened. You know, uh, Philadelphia, that particular building, 309 South Broad, was also Cameo Parkway. Cameo Parkway, yep. Was Philly International Records. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I worked a lot with Dee Dee Sharp, you know. Mr. Gamble's uh, was, first, his wife. Right, and she also was signed at Cameo Parkway, where she had her first big hit. Mashed potato time. Yeah, mashed potatoes, yeah. And um, so it's a historical place. Chubby Checker did the twist there, you know? Yes, yeah. um, mm. So I Dick Clark, he was very uh, closely associated with uh, Cameo Parkway. Yeah, to, to a great degree, yeah, he was. But his, his studio was at 46 and Market. Um, mm. That's where he did his uh, Dick Clark show, you know, from. American Bandstand? American Bandstand, yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, so for someone to go in there and burn it down, why the person did that, I, I really don't know. But there's actually a film, a video of him going in there and breaking in the glass of the front door, going, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, do you, do you, it's unfortunate because that building uh, had great history, you know? And um, I think it would have been a, a, a historical site, you know. You don't, I mean, was it, you don't feel like they could have salvaged, you know, the building that, like, was it that bad where they just had to tear, just, I mean, because it's, 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 it's sad, man, just driving by and all I can see is just the Gambling Huff sign on the street. Uh, of, and I'm like, of, of course, it, 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 it tears me up. Of course, it they could have rehabbed it. But the, Kenny and the developers have decided to do something different. 
you know, so they're rebuilding. And um, I think it's going to be like a, a lot of stores and condos. That's what I think, you know, mm -hmm. Kenny's in the real estate business there. He has many properties in Southfield. Right. You, do you feel like that building not being there, that's, you know, that that's one of the reasons why I feel like sometimes the history of Philadelphia International is not looked in the same light as uh, Stax Records or Motown because, you know, you you go to Memphis, you can see the old movie theater, which is Stax Records. You go to Detroit, um, see Hitsville. Uh, West, West, West Grand Boulevard, you see Hitsville. But you go to Philadelphia and where what once stood on 309 South Broad is just no longer there. So do you feel yeah. like it kind of hurts the the legacy as far as like being able to preserve the, the, the culture and pass it on down to well, I, I, I agree with you. I think that the architecture and the buildings where it all came out of are, are important as far as historical legacies are concerned. I agree with you. Yeah, I miss it. I think it's a sad thing. No, no, no. Nah, nah. Uh, I wish I miss I missed that building. Like I said, I, I'm glad I was able to, to go there and, and take pictures and I still have some of the pictures to this day. But um you know, I, 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 as we get out of here, I want to talk about, uh, you have a new single. So talk about this new single. I remember when I, I spoke to you on the phone, I don't know if you just, it, um, is, it, is it ready to drop this year? You're going to drop it at you know, the top of next year, but- No, it, it, talk it, the, sing the single's out there now, the video is out there. The single is called As One. Okay, talk about and that it, a little bit. And it uh, it's a song about, um, you know, we're, we're all struggling. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, and we need to all hold on to our dreams, you know, yeah. and to um, um, to come together as yeah. one, you know, because that's the only way we're going to get through what's facing us now, you know, yeah. to me, because everyone it's sort of like this. There's a new um, there's a new virus that is, ain't going nowhere. But then there are all the old viruses that ain't going nowhere, yeah, you know. Fact. And so, as as humankind, we're starting to die in greater numbers, you know. And and um, so we really need to come together as Earthlings, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to Divide. what cultures might want to do or see right. other cultures as, you know. So. That's what the song is really about. And it features Terry Dexter, who's a Ooh. wonderful vocalist. Great and, vocalist, and, yeah. And, 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 and a, and a uh, actress too, you know. Yeah. Um, she's on that uh, show, um, A House Divided. She's mm -hmm. on that show. Um, and it's from my album that's out there now. And the album is called the- uh, Yeah, plug that, plug that album, plug that album. Come on. The Story of the Flight Crew to Mars. <laughs> and each song, each that's instrumental or song is preceded by a vocal scene. Mm. Yeah, it tells a, a, a story. You, so you gotta listen to it. <laughs> I, 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 when I look back at those, um, Philadelphia uh, uh, International albums by you. It seemed like it always was like a space theme in, in a, a lot of those albums. Talk about that a little bit. Like, were you like a real huge like science fiction fan or were you really into like, you know, 
astronomy, space, things of that nature? Yeah, well, when I was a kid growing up on the farm, a part, part of my life, it, that, it, it was a dark sky there. There were no lights, you know. Actually, mm. there was a year and a half that I lived with my great-grandparents, and they didn't have electricity. We only had candles, you know, mm. and uh, oil lamps. And that was very different, you know. Right. Uh, so the sky there was dark. You could see the stars and so clear. And then one night I saw a meteor shower. And it's not like, say, like last night I was out. I went out to look at the Geminids meteor shower. And there, there were, you know, like a few little, you know, meteor shooting here now i saw one big one but imagine you know like as opposed to two or three meteors every couple of minutes imagine 15 or 20 meteors every minute and mm. it was like i'll never forget that you know mm. and it, to this day it, it, it inspires me to continue to look up i take my telescope out to uh, I live, I live near a uh, state park and it has an open area. I take my telescope out there all the time because the planets are very visible at night here, you know, and uh, planets like Jupiter and all of its moons and, um, and especially Saturn. Well, Saturn's kind of moved away, but you can still see it you know, with a good telescope. And um, of course, the moon and um, uh, the star clusters and um, some of the nebula, you know. And I've always been interested in that. Mm. I, I think that's part of part of me uh, is is uh, especially Mars. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's amazing, man. That's I always wanted always wanted to ask you that. I'm not quite sure what it is, but there's something no about Mars that, that has always intrigued me reading up on it. And, and the more they learn about it, the more they want, want to be there. Your son produced, you know, you just you just had your son. What do you you know? How do you feel about his success? You know, because he's, he's killing the game right now. Like, well, how do, you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm beyond I'm beyond proud of all of my kids right we have children that are very successful in all that they do we have a daughter that helps to run a patents firm you know mm. and we have a son that is an aid uh, a cia field agent you know? okay we have a daughter that uh helps to administrate foster children wow you know? yeah and so on and 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 i i uh, we have a, a daughter who's in the pharmaceutical world and she actually works with uh, now she's working with honest jessica alba's company you know wow. and um i i couldn't be happier uh, i mean uh drew it's he's a phenomenal uh producer and writer you know uh, that stuff his most recent stuff say like alesha cara and her number one records in a, an Ariana Grande's big album. I mean, he's in a pop world, and it and that and that's a different world. That's a different world. Yeah, it really mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you ever try to like you know when he when he told you that he wanted to take this thing seriously and and, and become you know get into the industry? Did you ever warn him about some of the things that he should look out for? Like you know what was that conversation oh, like? Oh, well. He, he learned early on that contracts can be um, 
unfortunate, you know, because um, he saw what I went through. Let me put it that way. Mm. And for him to go out as Pop, Papa Justify was brilliant. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because no one linked him, you know, to me until after his first number one record. Right. You know? And um, and he made it on his own and continues to this day, you know, mm-hmm. working very close with some of the great artists out there. I think he just finished Lizzo's album. So when that comes out, look for his stuff on there, you know. Um, hey, that's what's up. Sometimes... Sometimes I have to call his management just to say hi, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. Cam, I know you run into that on occasion. Hey, man. Yes, sir. (laughs) Are you serious? Hey, man. It be like that. (laughs) Oh, man. That's amazing. That's crazy. Mama Jones going to drop in and make sure everything going good, you know? Yes, sir. No, I really really had a, a... one of my favorite songs I've ever done, uh, I did with your mother. Really? And it's called Last Night I Needed Somebody. I Needed Somebody. Yeah, oh, I Needed man. Somebody. That's hey, one of my Cam, Cam, songs. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, yeah. you know all them songs, Cam. Yeah. And, I uh, love that record, man. Yeah, that's a Because it really yeah. tells a story of what happens in relationships when night. you're trying to make something work mm-hmm. and then you don't know what the other person yeah. is doing, you know? Yeah. And I also wrote a song of, of, with your mom and your aunts that also talk about that. And it's been sampled, too. And it's called When I'm Gone. When I'm, I'm gone. gone. Oh, man. <laughs> when I believe I'm that's gone. on the first album. Lipstick was on oh. the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give it up for the legendary Jones yeah. girls, man. And then uh, my auntie, I, I believe it's my auntie. Valerie, that's got to step out on that one. I love that song, though, man. I really do. Yeah, yeah man. I, I love, love it, that too. Record. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Yeah. yeah, salute. Hats off, Dex. I mean, I, one thing I noticed about you, man, is you um very versatile, and it makes sense that you got, you know, the solar and everything going on, because you just, you bring people, you got a way of taking people to different places with, the, with your, you know, your production, man, it's amazing, man. So yeah, hats yeah. off, you know, you, you might be a yeah, Um, man. congratulations on 50 years. Um, I can only imagine um the memories you have, you know, and as you continue to look back on everything y'all did at PIR, man. But I'm just, I'm amazed. I learned something new every day. I learned so much in the interview. That's why I didn't talk much, man. I was just sitting here soaking it in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this was this was dope, man. This was awesome for sure. Well, it's, it's nice talking to you, Cam, and yes, continued success with what you're doing, you know. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. I really do. Well, 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 Dexter, I want to go ahead and wrap this thing up, man. You got any last words, man? I I, I do want to say it is truly, it is, and that's, that's an understatement. It has truly been an honor to be able to talk to you and pick your brain and you know, just to hear these legendary stories, man, about, you know, arguably the greatest, uh, one of the greatest uh, music labels of all time. Man. I, I really appreciate it, brother. Really do. Well, I, I thank you for having me. And, I, and to all who may watch this one day, I hope all is well with you all. And I hope that um, 
we will all be good and we will all be well as time goes by. Amen. 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 Now that was that was that was great. Yeah. Appreciate we, that. We need we need that healing energy for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And thank you, Cam. Thank you, Cam, for you know helping me put this thing together. And you know, I know it's I know it's getting late, but thank you. You thank both of you guys. You just continue doing what you guys doing, carry on the legacy. I look forward to listening to this new project. Uh, can you say that one more time before we get out of here, Mr. Wanzel? The new project and a new single. The new album is called The Story of the Flight Crew to Mars. Okay. The new single is called As One. No doubt. Y'all heard it. Y'all heard it. Go ahead and cop that, stream it, download it, however you can get your hands on it. Go get it because it's coming from Mr. Wanzel, the legendary Dexter Wanzel. You know it's going to be nothing but fire. I'm telling you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brothers. You guys take care. Thank you guys, man. Have a good night. Love you guys. Much love, King. P-I-R-F-M. No doubt. Stay up. Good night. Good night. All right, fellas.